welcome to the podcast Cult Hackers. I'm Celine, a media graduate and an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather, organisational psychologist, also with an interest in cults. I was a member of a high control group for 30 plus years. So Celine, um, today we have a very special guest, don't we? We have fiancé Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> He's here to talk about science again, because it actually went down quite well last time. It did, yeah. The science podcast. Um, So yet again, the format will be you two having a conversation and I will butt in when you go too far and it just becomes a a different podcast entirely. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go. You'll keep us on the straight and narrow. And I'll, I'll jump in every now and then. So, so can we justify why we're doing this uh, episode again? I feel like we ought to justify it in a vain attempt to vaguely make it seem like we're actually well, on subject think, or on topic. I think it's fine in that we've discussed multiple times with different guests and such that basically science is a no-go when you're in mm. a lot of these cultic groups, um, or at least uh, you only get their version of science, whatever mm. that is. Um, so I think you know, for people that have left groups or recently or otherwise, um, discussing how science and the scientific community work <laughs> um, is normally a good thing because, yeah, a lot of people, you know, a lot of cultic groups teach you that it's big, bad, evil um, and that they're up to insidious things or whatever. Um, yeah. Or just it's nonsense. Um, so yeah. good to talk about it, right? I, th- I think so. There's a whole kind of gamut of um, a range of different approaches to science in these groups. I mean, as you say, some for some it's it's really about ignoring it entirely although using the technology that comes from it often you know mm-hmm. to spread the word or whatever it is um collect the money um but um but for a lot of groups i mean with certainly with my ex group jehovah's witnesses it was yeah we we like science we believe in science so long as it doesn't disagree with the bible wherever it disagrees with the bible then it's not true science you know so mm-hmm. science comes with this big whopping great caveat um that as soon as you're you're finding something out that doesn't agree with the bible then it can't be true um which isn't really very scientific so i think the nice thing when you leave a group like that you can look at science and uh, understand the world without having that massive great uh barrier there to truly understanding so that's how i justify it. you know it's one of the things that i did when i left was i wanted to read about science because all of a sudden it was so much easier to mm. engage with it you didn't have all these issues and worries about it so yeah i think it i think it is relevant it's just like anything else when you leave making sense of the world science is a is a big part of that i think um, okay, so shall we wheel him in then? Let's wheel Tom in. Um, welcome, oh. Thomas, to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. Great. It's great to have you uh, back again. Right. Okay. So, um, so we we said we wanted to do this, and we talked about the the topics that we were going to talk about. And the first thing that occurred to me was it just kind of coincided with some big news about a scientific breakthrough, and that was the fusion news so um do you want to i thought it'd be good to just get a bit of a take on just tell us what that actually is um get a bit into what fusion means um and also what it might mean for us so do you want to just tell us a little bit about the breakthrough thomas what was uh, what was the news yeah sure so i, I guess the the sort of the headline news was um you know that they 
performed a fusion reaction that outputted more or the equivalent energy to what they inputted. Um, so in very, very simple terms, uh, to perform fusion, you need to introduce some energy into the system. And then when, when the fuel fuses, then it outputs some more energy. Up to this point, the energy put in um, has been greater than the energy output. Um, so this is the first time um, that we've managed to do that in a lab. Um, so, so it's quite it's quite exciting. That's the sort of basic high level um, explanation of, of what happened. Okay, that's that's great. So uh, we, we've got a net gain. So I suppose it's wrong to say we've never been able to do fusion in the lab. Then, so we we have been able to do it. It's just yes. correct, but it's just taken more energy to get the thing to work than it has uh, deposited on the other end. Is that is that right? Yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, I suppose that there's there's a bit of a, a bit of a caveat or asterisk next to this breakthrough. Um, yeah. So, to power, well, yeah, I'll, I'll explain this and then I'll go into a little bit depth of what it actually yeah. means uh, a little bit later. Yeah. But okay. basically, to power the lasers that allowed the fusion event to occur, re- you know, required yeah. a lot of energy, more, you know, way way more than they outputted. Yeah. But the actual input that the input energy carried by the laser was less than the output energy so we you know we wouldn't make any money from it <laughs> it no. still costs a lot more effort than it did output um to power the machines and stuff but the actual you know the things that we put into the system or, or the stuff we shot up the fuel itself had less energy than the fuel output so there's a bit of a caveat there yeah that's that's been discussed a bit on on uh, various discussions around this this question is is kind of where do you where do you take the the inputs uh, where do you stop by talking about how much energy we've put into the system um clearly if you can do it commercially then every single element including building the the power station will have to be less than the energy you get out of it so of course we're not at that stage yet but just thinking about it hedged around this contained around this experiment that's for the first time we've been able to see a net gain in energy um which uh, which sounds really exciting and and it was a big news item I understand this is obviously it's in the states, the national lab, um, which is responsible for is is it a, a military or is it a energy um, site? I can't remember now. Um, I, yeah, I can't really remember myself either. I know it is basically just a research institute, but who funds it? I'm not too sure. Um, it, there's a chance that it has military funding, but I'm, I'm I know I know that the particular lab that did it, they don't do anything else other than that. But where their funding comes from, I'm not sure. Okay, cool. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what fusion is then? So we've, we've all heard of nuclear power. Uh, we have nuclear energy in the UK. It's in the US. It's around the world. Um, so we're all familiar with, with nuclear fission, which is splitting the atom and you get lots mm-hmm. of energy. So can you tell us a little bit about what nuclear fusion actually is then, Thomas? Yeah, because we've talked about this before. Because um, whenever we talk about it with people, they're always like, "Because there's good, there's good nuclear and bad yeah. nuclear," yeah. which is one of your gripes, isn't it? So, yes. but you yeah. can explain why that's there's not good and bad nuclear necessarily, and what the difference is. Yeah. Yes. So let's let's what what is it and what yeah how is it different to to what mm. we've got already? I suppose. Okay. Yeah. So so like you said, there's two there's two kinds of of nuclear. Uh, reaction there's fission and fusion so fission is you know the one that we have managed to harness so far which is yeah you take heavy elements 
um, and you split them apart, and then that releases some energy. Um, and then with that energy, you can you know you can sort of extract it and then use it in other useful ways. But then there's fusion, which is the opposite, where you get two lighter elements or smaller elements, and then basically just smash them together until they fuse to become a larger body. And then that you know that will release some energy. Um, and then yeah, so that's the the, the alternate. That, that's okay. So um, and when we talked about this, uh, we went for a walk, didn't we? And um, yes. we had a little chat about this as we were walking around the lake. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you were telling me about the choice of elements, and that makes a bit of a difference. So with nuclear fission, where you're splitting atoms, you've got a heavy um, element, and you're splitting that. Whereas with nuclear fusion, you've got light elements and you're pushing them together. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so so basically, I suppose a little background context to why why either breaking them or smashing them together even mm. gives energy in the first place um, is, is something called um, binding energy. So if you have um, an, an atomic nucleus, it's comprised of neutrons and protons, which you might have learned in high school or, yeah. you know, secondary education um and basically so obviously each neutron and proton has has a mass it weighs something um but what's interesting is if you take um all the neutrons and protons inside an atomic nucleus um, and add up their weights or masses um the sum of the constituent parts is greater than the actual weight of the nucleus so say for example you have um nuclear hydrogen it's got one neutron and one proton if you take the, if you add the mass of a neutron and the mass of a proton together, it will be a bigger number than the weight of the nucleus. Um, so basically, and the reason for that is in physics, um, there's this basically this idea that everything wants to be in the lowest energy state possible. So everything wants to be as relaxed as possible. Um, uh, or sometimes if you're reading anything, it might be called energetically favorable. And uh, basically all that means is if, um, if all the neutrons and protons scattered about, if they weighed the same, all clumped together as they did separate, then there'd be no benefit to them clumping together in the first place. And then we wouldn't have any material or you know, okay. physical objects. And um, so by, by joining themselves together, um, they enter a lower energy state, i.e. they weigh less. And therefore, it's more energetically favourable for them to clump together than it is for them to not. Okay, that's really interesting. So, as a layperson, I would, I find that hard to understand. So, if I have you know ten marbles, and I were mm-hmm. to weigh each of those ten marbles individually, I would know that if I then put those marbles into a bag, then they would weigh the same as the individual marbles added up together. Um, yes less the bag or including the bag but um that's not the case with um these particles these subatomic particles why is why is that how how do we explain that well it's all because of our our famous equation e equals mc squared okay equation everybody knows this equation Um, it's actually not the full equation but it's the Mm. it's the snappier version so everyone remembers this one um and basically it says that energy and mass are sort of related hmm. um so there's a you know you can directly transfer mass into energy so so when you have protons and neutrons in in a in a, in a nucleus so neutrons are neutrally charged they have no magnetic charge but the proton has positive charge um so you know if you if you pass it through 
you know, if you have a bunch of protons and you sort of shoot them through a wire, you'll have an electrical current. Um, so, but similar to magnets, if you have a north and a north pole and try and push them mm -hmm. together, they'll repel, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's the same with electrical charges. If you have a positive and positive charge, they'll repel each other. Um, so positive and negative charge like to attract, positive, positive, and negative, negative, repel each other. So when you're sort of pushing together, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of um, nucleons, they're called, to make a nucleus, the neutrons aren't going to repel anything because they're neutral, they're just going to sit there. But the protons are going to want to basically repel each other. So when you sort of push them together, Right, so I'm sort of getting ahead of myself. This is kind of explaining fusion now, but this it'll, it'll come back. Um, but what, so when you push them together, you have to have enough energy to overcome um, the electrostatic repulsion. It's called electromagnetic mm -hmm. repulsion. And in doing that, um, yeah, that is going to require some energy. And then when you clump them together, it releases some energy. And the reason why that is because inside the nucleus you have. Um, you have other forces at work that work on such small scales that you don't see them outside of the atomic nucleus. There's a strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. So in the context of basically nuclear structure, the strong nuclear force is, is the big hitter. And basically, this force is one of the fundamental forces of nature. And what it does is it's an extremely attractive force um, on very small scales. So Basically, it has the ability to attract positive charges more so than the positive charges have to repel themselves, right? Um, and basically, for that for that reaction to occur, energy is required. Therefore, um, using equals mc squared, you can some of the mass gets transferred, and some of the energy, sorry, some of the the mass gets converted into mm. what's called binding energy, and that's effectively mm. yeah, this additional reaction going on so some of the mass um is sort of siphoned off as binding energy to allow this to occur therefore yeah the sum of the masses is greater than the mass of the nucleus got you so it's actually that binding energy that strong nuclear force that that's where the extra mass has gone it's gone into energy now rather than it being mass okay mm -hmm. that sounds good so we know what um the two are so how come <laughs> I mean, you know, it's you know, pour me some while we go. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realise it'd be ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> Tea <Fair> break. <laughs> Anywho. Um, so, yeah, now we understand the two different kinds of nuclear, um, the different kinds of nuclear. Why is it that some people think one is bad and one is good? Or like, why why do people think one is more favourable than the other? So, why do they think that? And then, should they think that? Okay, okay, um, pretty pretty loaded question. <laughs> um, I guess let, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Um, so, I guess first we probably need to explain why you would yeah why you would choose fission over fusion and vice versa, and mm. you know what would they yeah like mean? in an ideal world if we had the tech and the understanding for both now. So basically, um, it effectively all comes down to our, well, I don't know if it's called this, but effectively a stability curve. So you have um, elements growing up from hydrogen, which have, you know, one proton, one neutron, so the lightest of elements, all the way up to, you know, uranium and, you know, 
xenon or whatever heavy element you have. Um, but basically, if the element is light enough, that binding energy release is greater for fusion than it is for fission. Um, so effectively, if you look at the stability curve, um, iron has, I think, 53 protons in it. And that, for some reason, is the most stable. So whether you break it apart or fuse it together, it will basically be a net loss of energy. But all of the elements that have less protons, i.e. are lighter than iron, um, you get more energy out fusing them than you do fissioning them, breaking them mm. apart. Mm. And then, so therefore, the same has to be true for the other way. So any elements with more protons than iron or are heavier than iron, fusing them together is a waste of time and you get more energy by breaking them apart. So that's why there are two methods. That's why we don't mm. just fuse or, fish, or you know, fission, I guess, um, elements. That, that's why you have to have two. Um, so the reason, I guess, why fission, which is what we currently use in, in our reactors, I guess the reason why that's more widespread and easier to do is, I'd say one of the main things is the actual process itself is easier to do. So generally, the heavier the nucleus, the more unstable it is. And how fission works, basically, is you you drop your fuel rods down into your reactor and then you release um these well you release neutrons and they're called thermal neutrons basically it's a neutron that is just the right energy that when absorbed by the fuel rod um, it destabilizes the nucleus and it cracks apart and then that releases some waste product but energy which is, is how fission reactions work um so there's a couple of things to think there. One, the actual process is fairly straightforward. You just need to introduce these thermal neutrons, and then the atom itself does most of the work, of the nuclear, sorry, and it just kind of breaks by becoming unstable. Um, but also fuel density. So I, I mentioned that those um, nuclei that, you, that are for fission are very heavy, and the more, basically the more... Um, protons and neutrons are have in the nucleus, the more dense the material is generally. So you can have an incredibly dense material condensed to a small amount of space um, such that when you basically put this in the reaction, you get a lot of energy out for a small volume, basically. Mm. Um, whereas with lighter elements like helium, just, just think, I guess, you know, how much like a, a deodorant can weighs, right? You know, the actual, the stuff inside doesn't weigh a lot. Whereas, you know, if you have like a, you know, a bag of sugar or whatever, something that's a lot denser, so it's a lot heavier. So you can pack in a lot more energy in a lot smaller space with fissionable or fissile materials than you can with fusionable. Um, so I guess to explain now how fusion works, um, so there's two main kinds. I say there's main kinds. There's, I think there's one other, which is solid state fusion, which I don't really know anything about, and it's not really widespread talked about but the two main kinds there's inertial confinement and magnetic confinement so to sort of explain a little bit about those two so magnetic confinement basically works by um, using a bunch of magnets um, in sort of like a donut shape and that basically spins um, your fuel around in a, in a sort of like a, in a circuit um, and it increases its temperature until a plasma forms, and a plasma is basically just a gas that has electrical charge. So if you have a gas, if you give it enough energy or it becomes hot enough, the electrons will strip from the atoms, leaving a soup of electrons and nuclei. Um, and then if you spin it fast enough and get it hot enough, when the nuclei in this gas or in this plasma collide, if they're energetic enough, they'll fuse, and then that'll increase the temperature, and then output energy. 
So that's how magnetic confinement works. And this uh, this is a, the tokamak, is it? Sorry, this is the yes. thing that's called the tokamak, the donut shape. So this is the this is the thing that I think most of us think of when we think about fusion. These huge donut shaped buildings, where obviously we don't really understand what goes on inside them. We do a bit better now, um, but you've explained what's happening inside. So this is magnetic uh, fusion. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. This is this is sort of the poster boy of fusion. Yeah, you get these big okay. donuts. Yeah, um, and then the alternate uh, inertial confinement is actually the type of fusion that got the breakthrough. Um, right. So this basically, um, you have your fuel source, and it's sort of contained in like a little pellet. And then what you do is, you basically shoot it from all angles with a bunch of high powered lasers, and that compresses it to. Um, yeah, it just compresses it, and then basically there's a there's a link between pressure and temperature. Um, so if you increase the pressure of something, then the temperature tends to increase, mm. or the volume will increase. But if you fix the volume, which is effectively what's happening here, we're squeezing the volume, we're decreasing the volume, therefore the pressure is increasing, thus the temperature is increasing. So yeah, you basically effectively squeeze this pellet into a very small space until eventually it explodes, basically. Um, and then that large outburst of energy is how, how we get the energy. So, yeah, so the, the the breakthrough, what they did was, yeah, they powered a bunch of very big um, lasers, and they shot this little pellet. Um, this heated it up, and then eventually the fuel it held inside the pellet fused and then gave an outburst of energy. So that's, that's the second kind. Okay. Um, and th this relates to what you said earlier about the um the natural tendency of protons not to fuse together because they are both positively charged mm -hmm. um and yet you're kind of going past that point where it can no longer repel um and once you reach that that moment if you like it's at that moment that you get the the release of energy because you've pushed it past that is that is that right as, as a layman's description yeah, more or less. Like, so if you have, um, I mean, they, they use tritium and deuterium, which are isotopes of hydrogen, but let's just use the example of hydrogen because it's slightly simpler. So there's one proton, yeah. one neutron inside here. Where basically, yeah, what we're doing is we have, the neutrons are, are happy to be next to each other, so that's not an issue, but the mm -hmm. protons will be repelling each other. So if you get them energetic enough and squeeze them enough, yeah, those protons are going to have no choice but to basically now exist in the same nucleus. But obviously that has to um, override their repulsion yeah and that's that's the burst of energy that basically um most of the calculations that go into working out how much energy you get out is basically working out the binding energy the binding energy is effectively what is released and um, so if you yeah so when you fuse two heliums you'll get a sorry two hydrogens you get a helium so if you know the mass of a helium nucleus you know the mass of two hydrogen nuclei then the difference is what the energy will output. So that's that's how they do the calculation. But yeah, that's that's effectively right. You're overcoming, like I say, if you have two North Pole magnets, imagine squeezing them together so hard that they eventually become one magnet. Mm. That's gonna, you know, it'll be very hot and you know, mm. so much noise. So that's kind of what's happening. Okay, that's that's great. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Um, okay, so I, I guess I would say then, um, I don't know. The, the tokamak thing sounds um, complicated and difficult. Um, Firing big ass lasers at a very small point sounds pretty simple. Uh, why is it we haven't done it until now? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess um, 
first off, lasers are relatively complicated. Like we, we've known how to use them for a while, and we've been able to build them for ages. But um, you you got to think the the more powerful the laser, the the bigger the you know the drum or whatever that's you know producing this energy, right? Um, but also you got to think how small is this pellet going to have to be to force these atoms together? So your aim has to be spot on. <laughs> so yeah. not only you need a lot of very powerful lasers, you need to aim them just right mm-hmm. um, to very small error margins um, to actually hit, hit your target, mm-hmm. basically. Imagine being the guy that does the laser slightly off and you just cost them like billions of pounds. These are not, these are not stormtroopers. They didn't go to stormtrooper school of laser fire. No, I know. But imagine it. Imagine if you just did your calculation a bit off. It's game over. Yeah. And they're just like, wow, man. It's like half the budget gone. But what is quite interesting about um, inertial confinement fusion is it's actually, it's the hottest kind of fusion we achieve. So magnetic confinement obviously gets very hot, Mm. um, but inertial confinement, because of the extreme pressures, it sort of shoots up at the instant of fusion. And it actually gets hotter than the core of our sun um, for a very small amount of time. So it's it's quite cool that, you know, some some hairless monkeys on a planet figured out how to Mm. do that. Um, that is awesome you, isn't it it is but to be fair you've not answered the question of why why do people think there's good good nuclear and bad nuclear yes yes that is that is that is the question um so basically like i said before with fusion you need lighter elements um so generally if yeah if i fuse two hydrogens together i'm going to get a helium and helium is relatively harmless hmm. whereas if you take uranium and you split that in half you get you know, um, I can't remember exactly what you get. Beryllium, maybe, and some waste. Other yeah, the 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 daughter nuclei they're called, or the, the waste products, are themselves quite radioactive. Savage mm. that it has to be daughter. <laughs> <laughs> they never. It's they the way never, it is. They never refer to the to the female, and then the moment they do, it's for the waste product. But anyway, <laughs> all right. But, but yeah, so basically, when you yeah when you have a very unstable heavy nucleus. Um, and by unstable, what I mean is prone to emitting material. In this case, okay. um, it would be alpha radiation and a bit of gamma radiation. Um, but yeah, so yeah, when you break apart uranium, yeah, what you're left with is unfortunately highly emissive radioactive material, um, which is generally more harmful to us than helium is in the fusion case. Mm. Is, th- is there no sort of um, with fusion then is there no nuclear waste in any capacity or well in terms of the actual fusion reaction itself not really no but again there's a big caveat there so you've got to think because of the temperatures that you're reaching inside those reactions the in in the inner wall of the reactor is itself becoming unstable because it's either you know, it's blasting it with such high levels of radiation, it's making the actual container unstable. So when they um, fix, or when they, um, I guess, replace components to, you know, Tokamax or something, um, the the casing itself becomes radioactive. Um, I, don't, I don't know the exact, um, you know, what exactly sort of radiation output is. I don't know how dangerous it is. But, yeah, if you, if you think about this, you know, you're effectively, you know, blasting, you know, some kind of metal, with such radiation that it destabilizes the nucleus and then that begins to emit itself. So it's not, you know, the actual reaction itself, the output of the actual fusion event is harmless. But 
obviously you have to encase it in something mm. and you have to you know mm. so that yeah the so that's one of the caveat when people don't talk about you know when people say it's clean energy yes it is clean the actual energy but it's the surroundings that mm. then have to be um sort so of it literally gets so hot that it's radioactive now <laughs> Yeah, well, I suppose <laughs> c- compared to the the half life of um, w- nuclear waste from nuclear fission, it's it's much much safer. So I can see why you would see fusion as being the 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 good nuclear, if you like, mm. um, and fission as being the bad because you have all this nuclear waste that you have to do something with, and you know we we put it in concrete, we bury it in the grounds. Um, whatever you do is going to last thousands of years it's going to be uh harmful so it it is it does create a problem and we've we've created all these nuclear power stations without really thinking seriously about what we do with with the waste i think that's that's one of the the feelings anyway that that i have around it although you know it has some benefits that's one of the downsides mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean i suppose what yeah that that is true um and also, because also you have to think with also fission reactions as well as them having sort of reactive waste. Again, when you repair the actual reactors themselves, the concrete that surrounds the cooling mm. fluid that itself becomes reactive and so on. And also, the co- cooling fluid itself is also um, irradiated. Um, but in terms of you know burying it and stuff, it, it sounds. I you know again, this is sort of my personal opinion, but it sounds worse than it actually is mm. because of the density of the fuel. The actual volume of stuff you're bearing is very small, and yet, even though it is encased in concrete and all this, um, the actual amount of fuel that we've or waste that we have buried isn't anywhere near as close to, or at least its effect on the planet is way less than, say, fossil fuels. So, even though you are burying stuff that's you know basically mm. poisonous to us, the amount we've buried compared to the amount of you know stuff that gets put into the atmosphere by burning coal and stuff is yeah. you know negligible. So. Mm. It's not great bearing stuff, but it's better than fossil yeah. fuels. And I suppose it, it it's when you say bury something, it's easy to um, the picture of you know a bloke with a spade um, comes to mind. But no, these are great shafts that are built. Um, that are these things are encasing concrete and taken down, and and people monitor them, don't they? Um, and it's all it's an industry in itself, really. So I suppose you know. There is that. But fusion sounds really exciting. Um, all through my life, it's been, you know, fusion's fusion's going to come in 30 years. Fusion's going to come in 30 years. And then we had this amazing breakthrough. Everybody's really excited. And so they interviewed a scientist about it. And they said, so, you know, okay, theoretically now we've got a net gain. How long will it be before we can start to think about it being commercially used in any practical sense and he said well probably about 30 years <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh... <laughs> oh, right. so not anytime soon going to be having uh, nuclear fusion powered cars or uh, or even power stations i guess um that's no. the next stage that's true. I mean, they are building um, ITER, which is well international thermonuclear something reactor in um, in France, and I think that's due to be completed twenty forty or something. Um, and that's going to be the first commercial scale prototype um, reactor. But it's un- well, I say unfortunately, not necessarily, but it's it's um, magnetic confinement. So it's you know you have a tokamak. Yeah. So it's not. <laughs> 
they're building a large scale machine that hasn't yet <laughs> yielded any fruit, if you will. So there's right. some big they punted on that one. That. Okay, so they get they yeah. punted on the on the one that hasn't worked yet, but they're hoping that for the time they finish lasers it. And th- <laughs> yeah. it's not. It's I think not if it had been me, I'd have said keep shooting the big ass lasers at the little <laughs> dot. That that for me. Would have been the one to go with, but there you go. What do I know? Go back in time and ask people: Are you team donut or team laser? <laughs> exactly. All right. Okay. Well, that's that's great. We've, well, we've we've taken half an hour um, to to go through that, and I think that was really interesting, um, and I've learned a lot from that conversation. Um, hopefully, um, some of our mm. listeners might have done as well. So that's great. Well, Thank yeah. you. I think, especially with nuclear, it's good to kind of demystify, isn't it? Because there's a lot of sort of mongering <laughs> over um like scaremongering over mm. nuclear and um not a lot of understanding so i think it is good and especially as, yeah there was a lot of like new age groups as well you know we've talked to a few new age court groups and stuff that were very anti that sort of thing um and, and yeah. so is it you know so i think hopefully beneficial for anyone that's left those sort of groups previously yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, so let's take a little bit of a break there. And when we come back, we will talk about the other segment, the other topic that you wanted to talk about, Thomas, which is mm-hmm. um, I've, I've coined it as science. What is it good for? Check out witnessunderground.com about artists who escaped cults. We have three different forms of journalism from a film, a YouTube series, and a podcast. The podcast is very active. We're launching season two, January 2023. And the story link on that site talks about the body of work that we've already created and what we're continuing to create, the mission, the intention, and our artist grant application where you can submit to take home $1,000 to work on your art project on the topic. The only criteria would be that you have a great idea, that our panel awards, but also that you have some association with this particular religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, at some point in your life. doesn't matter how long it's been. And we also have a blog, a regular writing series, The press has been really interesting. When we did our film festival run in 2021, we got a lot of press. We are on a lot of radio programs and a lot of podcasts. And you can see all of that content there, which is really exciting. And it's fun to have launched this new website. And the art page will have shortly all of our products we have for sale, from t-shirts to the music from all the bands in the film, to artists who are actively making new music that we've highlighted on the podcast, and films that you can watch from other activists. It's an exciting time to be launching the grant and the new site and the film. That should be out in April. We're launching it. The target date for release is ahead of the Jehovah's Witness holiday that they call the Memorial and the Jewish people call the Passover event. So April 4th is the actual date, and we are shooting for ahead of that for a public release, ideally on ad-based services such as Tubi for you to watch. So Stay, stay ahead of that, pay attention to the website, subscribe on the website, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and search on YouTube for Witness Underground Podcast. That's where we've been launching everything. We have just launched on Buzzsprout as a distribution, so we should be on Spotify shortly. Thank you so much for following. Like, subscribe, share as much as you can, and let any artist that you know who has any affiliation with this religion that they can apply for the $1,000 grant that we are putting together as a goodwill to the community and an exciting way to bring new art to the community that is part of the healing process. Thanks for sticking around and check out witnessunderground.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. 
Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Welcome back and we've got Thomas here who is talking about science physics in particular so thomas has explained to us how fusion works um but the topic you wanted to talk about thomas was something a bit different do you want to introduce it yourself um and then yeah sure we can go from there so and, and this is this is honestly one of my biggest pet peeves and right, okay. as someone when i was doing well even now to be honest but when i was doing my studies and even now you get you know you get comments of people you know sort of interested in physics or maybe not interested in physics but Everyone has an opinion about physics, basically. And one of the main things that winds me up is when it'll be X topic is brought up. Well, what's the point in doing that? Let's research this medicine that will be better for the world than, you know, whatever else right. I think they're looking into. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time and money. Got all these yes. problems on the earth. Why are we doing that? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what's funny is, or I guess the irritating part about that is most of the time, the topic they decide to pick on is extremely useful and is used in everyday life, but they just don't really understand how it's incorporated. So do you want to give us an example then? What 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 are you thinking about? So I guess one, one topic, I guess... Um, I guess this kind of latches on to, uh, so this is this adds on to what we mentioned uh, in the previous podcast. is is about quantum stuff. It, it's very abstract, and a lot of people think it's a lot of nonsense. Um, but yeah, why bother researching that? That's not useful to us. While they'll be, you know, googling stuff on their phone and you know enjoying modern medicine and all this good stuff. Um, so I guess, or nuclear again. Um, yeah, why why research nuclear? That can be used for weapons. That's bad. Um, so I guess to sort of explain a little bit about those, why those two particularly come up is, so obviously quantum mechanics tends to be thought of this sort of, you know, mystical, um, woo, but without quantum mechanics, you wouldn't have something called solid state physics, which basically is just the physics of solid objects. Basically, um, it's basically sort of goes into the properties of how most solids can be broken down into sort of crystalline structures and, that basically allowed us to develop sort of theories and technology to work out how conductivity works. So, you know, how electrons travel through materials and then, you know, how we can make electricity and, and this kind of stuff. So obviously that's very useful in our everyday life. Mm. We have electricity. Um, and, and solid state specifically is if you have maybe seen SSD cards or, or something like that in just general tech stuff. So SSD is solid state drive. And basically, oh. um, yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. It's like, no. so like our cam, like our camera little drives mm. that we put. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess you know, if you have a solid state drive over, I guess a, a disk drive, so you know, regular hard drive or disk drive, you know, you've got a little, basically, so like a vinyl, isn't it? You know, mm. you've got a little uh, sort of disk that spins and then it stores data that way. Mm. But solid state drive works a little bit differently. Basically, it's like a silicon chip or some other um, semiconductor material. And yeah, you effectively encode the data that way. And yeah, it, it's a highly conductive material that basically allows electrons to flow very nicely. Um, 
And like I say, there's obviously there's way more to it than that, but generally speaking, that's what it is. It's in, instead of storing data as like a you know, like a vinyl, um, it stores it as basically um, a bunch of quantum gate logic gates, um, basically. So obviously that's a big win for quantum mechanics, and that's mm. you know. But again, a lot of people don't really sort of think about that. Also, you have um, CCD cameras, charge coupled device cameras, which. So you've got your regular, I guess, analog cameras, which print on the piece of paper, it's some chemical reaction, and then you have an image. Um, but a lot of digital cameras, how they work is you have a grid of yeah, small silicon chips or some similar material. And then when you take a picture, um, the photons come in, or the, the light comes in, hits that plate of that grid of, of silicon, and because of something called the photoelectric effect, which is what won Einstein the Nobel Prize, um, if the frequency of light hitting that particular plate is of high enough energy or enough, then it'll basically emit an electron. So emitting that electron now means you have um, a gap where there is no electron anymore. So that's an effective positive charge. So the electric, so the electrons will want to fill that gap, um, so jump over from their spot into that. And then it's kind of like a Mexican wave style thing where you know you have a current forming. So basically by measuring the current um, for each of the elements in this grid, you can work out what frequency light hit it and therefore you can build up an image because the frequency of light is corresponding to its wavelength, which is its color. Um, so you have this, yeah, this grid with a bunch of sort of quantum pixels. And then yeah, based on the current you receive from those, you can make an image. So that's how a lot of digital cameras work. Which again, it's using very basic physics principles, but you know, if you didn't, if you don't know how to make that connection, I guess it's mm. you know, it sounds like a different thing, right? Um, so that, that that's one of them, and then also, um, so I guess in terms of the realm of medicine now, um, so most people have heard of MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. Mm -hmm. So MRI, funnily enough, is actually um, well, it is what it is, but the technique is actually NMR, nuclear magnetic resonance. Um, but funnily enough, they changed it to MRI because people don't like the word nuclear. Again, there's this this fear of nuclear. Yeah, mm. yeah, Brandon. yeah. Some some mm. some marketing team probably had a good you know mm. good idea. But basically, yeah, how that works is you know you have um, two two nuclei. Again, it's way more in depth than this, but the very basic mm. um, level is you know you have some um, nuclei, uh, some nuclei, and because of basically electrical interactions, as they're buzzing about, you can, based on how far apart they are, you can work out, you know, how much one's going to say rotate with respect to another, and all this kind of stuff. You can see how they couple uh, based on their separation and what materials between them. And then again, from that, you can work out distance information and orientation information. So you can see, cool, okay, if you have enough of those, then you can build up an image, which is what MRI is, um, or even nuclear traces. Like if you've ever you know, had like a little drink and then mm. um, it sort of basically puts a small radioactive um, tracer in your in your, uh, your blood system, basically. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a tumor, there'll be a clumping of that. So when they put their sensors over you, they're going to detect a higher rate of um, gamma emission over over the spot where there's like a tumor. So where it's sort of, uh, mm. stopping the flow of whatever this liquid is. And then they can find your tumor and then remove it. Mm. So... Yeah, so there's a, a lot of uses for this, you know, seemingly um, sort of theoretical nonsense. But mm -hmm. like I say, there are connections that very clever people have made 
which unless you know these, you're not going to see the value in, in certain things. Yeah, so I think this is interesting because it actually, it's not just about people being annoying and and saying comments. It's actually also relates to things like government funding and, um, you know, where we spend our science dollars or pounds, you know. Um, there is a there is a tendency to, in fact, I think it's it's current policy, current current government policy in the UK, that you know if you're if you're looking for funding, you really should be trying to show what benefit this uh, research is going to go towards. You know, how is it going to help us as a country? Um, and I know a lot of scientists are quite worried about that. I think because it kind of works on the assumption of there always being like a quantifiable benefit and you need a business case for it. Yeah, that you know in the first place. Yeah, but you don't know, do you? Because like Mm. you've said um, before, Thomas, there's a lot of cases where something's been researched and it's not relevant for like 100 years, but then Mm. we, we then get to a point where we find its relevance and it's good that we had researched it. I mean, you've mentioned that before, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, I suppose just to sort of add on to the point where you say about funding is, yeah, a lot of funding now, unless it's got effectively, you know, immediate market value, then they're not going to fund it, which mm. is obviously silly because then, yeah, you don't know what is going to be useful in 100 years' time, right? Um, yeah. Or even like, 20 years' time. Yeah. Well, exactly. It, it, it doesn't have to be that far in, in advance, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I think, unfortunately... I mean, I've just in a general sense, we talked about this before. I think governments are very short-sighted, and I suppose because they're only guaranteed mm. in power for as much as what is it, five years, and then so they they're thinking about like the five-year plan rather than yeah the the long-term strategy. But that's not good for, for yeah. Science. It's, one, <laughs> it's one of the potential weaknesses of of democracy. I mean, I'm a big fan, obviously, of democracy. Yeah. Um, I don't want the alternatives, but you know, you think about. China or, or governments like that that essentially don't have to worry about an electoral cycle. Um, they are able to have much longer term plans and strategies. Uh, we need to find a way, I think, in democracies of of being able to take it outside the realm of, of that politics because, yeah, you. so I guess we come to fundamental research here, um, which is in itself... Um, something that scientists like like you, Thomas, are really interested in, and you just want to do it because you find it interesting, and that's absolutely cool. Um, and I'm with you on that. Um, as a society, uh, I think I think we've talked about why that is important, though, because we we need we need that underpinning stuff before the entrepreneurial people can get hold of it and say, oh, what we know about this now means that I can create this or do that and that's um yeah if if you're not able to think far enough into the future and just only expect that everything's going to have a five-year turnaround then you're just not going to get that that stuff sorry go on you you had to yeah i mean yeah i was just going to say sort of to add on to that but even in the cases where say you're doing some fundamental research even if the direct output of that research is say i don't know you're finding new particle or something that particle may never be useful, but the techniques you've developed to find it might be useful. So again, yeah. a good example is, um, again, we all like the internet, right? And a very primitive version of the internet was invented by CERN at the Large mm. Hadron Collider mm. because they had large amounts of data that they needed to transfer to their colleagues. So they it needed to yeah, basically invent the internet so they could do that. 
So obviously the research they were doing was finding particles and doing particle physics, but the output there, you know, even though the particle physics might not be immediately useful to us, the output was the internet, which is useful to us. So the techniques mm -hmm. developed to do the research itself might be the useful thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that, that actually leads on to my next point, um, which was space research. So um, I'm just fascinated by space research and, you know, finding more and more planets and um, sending probes and all of that. But that does come under quite a lot of criticism from the public. Um, and I understand that, you know, we, if we have, we've got people starving, dying on waiting lists um, to get treatment and all that, that sort of thing. You think, well, why are we spending billions on a probe to see if there's life around a far away moon or something you know and um uh, I, I guess let's let's have a go at justifying that i mean what 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 does science uh, what does space research do for us um well i mean like i said before that the the techniques developed themselves are extremely useful um mm. you know like most um astrophysics research now um or at least observational astrophysics research the amount of coding and statistics that has to go into that to basically even render these images of hmm. uh, faraway galaxies and stuff. Hmm. That alone is for data analysis and that sort of stuff, which again, I used everywhere is, you know, is very useful. But also, I guess, you know, one thing to think, even if it doesn't have a use, I mean, I guess, for example, like, why would you fund the arts, right? Because it's, it, it keeps people motivated and, you know, people like, you know, going out to eat food and go to the cinema and whatever else. Mm -hmm. So for the same reason you're making, it's all, you know, people are interested in space, right? So if it keeps people in, you know, engaged um, and wanting to get into science and whatever else, then that itself should be fine enough reason, right? There's no, you know, there's no, I guess, material benefit to making a movie, right? Like, well, other than the money you make or whatever, but in terms of, I guess, just output to the world, you're not doing anything really you're just making a but you know you're making some art right so it's it you know you could argue for, in some cases um it's you know it's the same thing right doing it because you like something is you know, is a good enough reason right yeah absolutely um so i, I completely agree with that I, but i suppose if you're if you're one of the people that is um needs an operation and there's not enough money in the health service to uh to pay for that or you know you're somebody starving um, then I guess I guess your perspective is slightly different, but I I personally would would say it's not an either or, is it? Um, I don't think it's that that's it's not the the relatively small amounts that we spend on things like fundamental science and space uh, exploration and so on is is not the thing that's that's creating a system where people don't have enough to eat or we don't have a health service. You know, there's lots of money spent in other areas that could be sacrificed, I would argue. Yeah, I was literally going to say um, mm. the, the same thing. Like, There's a lot of, there's a lot of massive um, companies out there with lots and lots of money that, you mm. know, and there's a lot of other, um, there's a lot of people with uh, <laughs> reasons to point fingers at things like the science um, probes going up and like, oh, we're wasting money on this, you know. And it's like, oh, quote unquote, we, as though it's, you know, some sort of team mm. pointing fingers at something. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess my question to, Ray, to raise would be, like like you said, um, 
is is this really the money that's is the money that's being used for this really what's taking away from mm. um from the nhs or from you know just just social care in general and things like that no i don't really think so <laughs> um, no, and, that's and right. it's more of a political question rather than a mm. rather than a business money balance like check balancing issue it's more of a political question as to where the money goes uh, absolutely and you know it becomes an industry i mean you think about the satellite industry now it's massive mm. and countries mm. want a piece of that because it's it creates jobs it creates wealth it, it um obviously it has its own utility and that it means that you know you can communications are better i mean i was talking to somebody yesterday um, and we were talking about satellites. They did some work with a satellite company that made satellites. Um, and, you know, I was saying when I was a kid, so, you know, I'm quite old, but I'm not that old. When I was little, a little boy, I remember watching football, watching an international football match um, that was live by satellite, you know. <laughs> um, and it was, like, really exciting that you could watch this match live from the other side of the world by cameras that uh, or pictures that were beamed up into space and back down again and this was novel uh, mm-hmm. the picture quality was terrible because mm-hmm. often the you know it didn't quite so you'd, you'd see sort of a shadow around all the, the people that had their own little um doppelganger that was sort of uh, just sort of next to them um but we just thought this was amazing now in within sort of 40 years of that we now just take it for granted that we yeah, have I was this say it's it's like this I technology guess, yeah it becomes so accepted and standard mm. that then you you get these questions of like why do we need this because it's forgotten yeah. what it was related absolutely to how exciting it was so yeah like when people are sitting there sort of saying you know while you're at uni learning about this stuff and they're like why are you wasting your time on that exactly. while they're sitting yeah. you know, while they're using, while google, they're, maps yeah, while they're using yeah. google maps to get you mm. to the pub and it's like you know well, this is why you just see, you just become disconnected from how these things came to be and how exciting that yeah. it is that we have them. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, think about this podcast. This podcast, we, we talk to people from literally all around the world um, and we just do that on a, a little computer and um, it's just relatively easy. I mean, we do get technical hiccups from time to time, but when you think about what we're actually doing, it's absolutely extraordinary. Mad. Um, you know, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. And this is all because somebody somewhere, um, some kind of slightly um, obsessed person was was sat in a lab somewhere, uh, crunching some numbers and getting excited about something they'd, they'd just discovered, you know, and, and so I think that you're right, it's, it's, I think we need to, every anybody that cares about science and about discovery needs to keep banging that drum i suppose we we need to keep banging that drum saying look this is this is why we do it and no, so, yeah. i mean I, I agree i mean I, I guess also one thing to sort of mention is say for example you know you've got the cancer uk research pot that money isn't being siphoned off to do nasa that's no. you know they're, they're different they're different pots people putting money into both it's not like oh you know we sent another satellite into space oh now we can't do cancer research anymore. No, that they're different funding places. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, well, uh, yeah. One of the main things about space research is yeah, satellites, and we all enjoy the internet. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, um, the next big exciting thing I think will be a manned mission to Mars. Um, I hope it happens in my lifetime and um, that will be so exciting. But all of the research that will be needed to make that possible, even in terms of um, psychology and uh, other life sciences, you know, um, how do people manage to cope with that journey um, of, you know, weeks and months possibly even years isolated there's research now going on that that will help us understand that but it's that research is there to be used in lots and lots of different situations so we'll be drawing on that for absolutely decades uh, and that's before you get into the use of fuel and and how you um you feed everybody and all of that you know just just so much will go into that mission that will will spin off into into lots of other areas so yeah and you know i don't think we should underestimate you've touched on it thomas but we shouldn't underestimate the inspirational element of it as well you know we are as you say hairless apes uh, who um managed to understand the world in which we found ourselves in to a degree that is absolutely extraordinary why would we not want to learn more and more? You know, it's just so fascinating to to learn about it, I think. So that's the other thing. The the, the spirit, the human soul, um, if there is such a thing, I think it's that. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, so we're, we're pretty much at the end of our episode. Um, thank you very much, Thomas, uh, for coming on again. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, what about you, Celine? Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was... Um, yeah. I think um, first half was more technical. Second half, I was um, we, we had more of a philosophical. Split it up into two. Yeah, halves. that's I true. Everyone we, enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so uh, that was great. And um, if anybody has any other suggestions about science-related stuff, we we thinking about making it a bit of a, a sort of mini series. We we have a mini series on films. We um, we have various topics that we like to bring up, and I think science is a good one. So if anybody has a subject they want us to talk about, or they want Thomas to talk about. Um, send us a suggestion right okay well thank you very much good to see you again and we'll see you next time bye cheers bye bye, bye. bye.